I'm like the only person in the world that knows this. Essentially, the people that you follow on social media, YouTube, Instagram, etc., we help them like make money online. I'm a firm believer of if you want to do a business, you have to leave your job to do it. I was one of the first people that ever created a workout program like on the internet. The actual cost of starting a business is almost zero. You need to find something that you're actually winning at, not what you want to do. Like, what are you winning at in business? I understand your hustle and I understand how passionate you are about the business. You wouldn't have got to where you've got to unless you'd put in this ethic but what's the cost on doing that you know the misses the kids all that kind of stuff that you have to miss out on you have to be willing to give it your all meaning like your whole life to it in that moment in time friends and everything will come and go you should be excited to make new friends in life because you're going to go forwards in life versus keeping with your friends that you had since school i have to keep reminding myself that it's okay if someone else has done something and is successful at it even though i know how to do it if you are where the attention is you will win first things first guys before we get started with this podcast do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now. Whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee podcast and have we got another absolute banger for you today. I have the man here who took Genfro from zero to a hundred million inside six years. Shan Hanif, welcome to the podcast. What's going on, man? Excited to be here. Uh, I've been seeing your journey and the hustle you're putting in in the podcast and it's my first ever external podcast. I'm excited to come on here and tell you tell you the story. I know when when, when you when you told me it was your first ever external, one, I was I was like, mate, no pressure, because <laughs> obviously I was trying to. I saw some of your content on YouTube, and I've obviously been following your journey with with you know working with a lot of these top creators and helping a lot of people putting back instructions into their business. And it really interests me that you've gone from being an accountant so many years ago into creating apps into everything you've done phenomenal phenomenal journey for you but how just give me an insight into you starting this business because as an accountant you're there working as an accountant what made you want to step out of accountancy and get into creating a business like Gemflow? yeah i think look just before i answer that just give everybody the the context um so my company Genflow, we help creators essentially the people that you follow on social media youtube instagram etc we help them like make money online and uh, the idea from the very beginning uh, came from if you have a massive audience, I always had this inkling that that means you'll be able to market things and sell them things because you have their attention. And um, that's what my business does today. And just if, if you have never heard of us, um, I work with Logan Paul, KSI, Grace Beverly, Mike Thurston, uh, Iman Gaji, basically some of the biggest creators in the world. And, um, and you know, we help them sell absolutely millions. And these are kids, essentially. Like, I have, like, 19-year-olds making a few million a year who've changed their lives, changed their family's life. I have people that have paid for their parents, like, mom is getting abused, paid for the divorce, like, all because of creating content. So I think what I, what I want to do in this episode today is just really get across the benefit of creating content, just like you are today, because it is life-changing and people should really focus on creating content in their lives because it is the best, I feel like it's the biggest opportunity we're living through right now and people don't do anything about it. And I, it amazes me. Um, 
With that being said, yes, I was an accountant, which is a quite uh, opposite, uh, boring thing as people would think. Um, but the truth is, um, there's a there's a step before that, which was that growing up, I was always like the hustler in all my friends. Essentially, I was the guy selling selling things online. I had the Amazon shop, the eBay power seller, buying and selling phone chargers to everything else in the early days. So, the accountant was like the second step. And the truth really is. I became an accountant because of like family pressure. The idea of, you know, I guess I come from the generation I'm I'm 34 now. Yes, 34. And um that, well, welcome, welcome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that if you didn't go to university, you're going to be like not going to have a future, right? And and I can't blame my parents because they came in they came to this country in like the 80s for them education was everything. If you don't get the education, how are you going to have a future, right? So they they drilled into me, if you don't go to university, you'll be a failure. the pressure of going to university doing an actual degree but whilst i was during that journey um i was always selling things and making money the truth is till my accountant job i actually never had a job so my friends were working in argos for like 5 pounds an hour i was like buying and selling stuff online and um, i did very well so when i was in college um firstly in school i was put up by a year so i was always ahead so i started college when i was 15 years old I made an eBay account stuff for my brother's name because I have one older and we were selling um I was selling about 5000 pounds worth of stuff when I was 15 16 years old online in those days this is 2006 so when it comes to like online understanding online it's like ingrained in me it's like literally in my blood when it comes to like how to sell online yeah because obviously when you first got your job as an accountant you're earning less than what you're earning online anyway Pretty much. So you know, then I went to university, did my accounting degree. Um, that was in Coventry University, one of the worst places in the world. Um, <laughs> I'm from Peterborough, mate. I know all about it. <laughs> and then um, got got a job in London with a good firm, and basically, I yeah, did the full accountant thing as full. I did ACCA for anyone that's familiar. Obviously, that's how you qualify to become a qualified accountant. Did did that as well. The thing with me is, if I put my mind to something, even if I don't think there's like benefit. in a monetary sense or whatever it was a goal and the day i qualified i handed in my notice and i left essentially because i was like i've done it i done what my parents wanted i've proven to myself i've got a real education education because i needed it and um i want to start my own business so essentially yes um and when i was an accountant i had the luxury of basically the way i kind of fell into what i do today as well is i had the luxury of working with tech startups So for those of you who um not familiar with the term I guess all the apps and stuff that you use in around about 2015 or so in London um a lot of companies were getting funded who are creating new technology so when social media was getting big you know I don't know if anyone's ever used an app in London called City Mapper um and other apps like that So I became I worked for a firm and I was quite lucky who were basically helping technology businesses. So that allowed me to get like an inside view of like technology businesses like I because they were clients. So I'm seeing like oh there's a development team and there's this and they're developing something what's iOS how does that work what's So I started to get a bit of understanding because of my natural instinct I started to get, get pretty much ask can I go to the client's office I'll work from their office because I was so badly wanting to see and learn like what is this stuff and I was quite lucky so one company I worked with did Jamie Oliver's app which at that time was the biggest uh, revenue generating app on the app store outside of games and um 
the, the new iPhone was coming out. This is crazy. Apple comes and they like chain the phone to like uh, the thing that they have because they want you to develop on it. But the iPhone, like the new iPhone is not released yet. This was like that early because Apple were paying developers to make stuff, to have something on the app store. And they paid Jamie Oliver to be like, can you make an app? So we have like good food app on, on the Apple app store. So basically, even though, yes, I was an accountant by trade, I learned it fully, but I was learning so much of like just information and online and online selling and investment and how to raise money and all that cool stuff. I, I, think, um, I think essentially what you were is you were online, but you'd attached yourself to the accountancy job because you were trying to appease your parents, so to speak. You were trying to fit in with the narrative that, that the parents had given you. So Yeah, I think that. And I think also I was interested in business. And I, was, and I always thought to myself, it's a weird thing to say out loud, that if I understand the money side of the business, it's probably the right thing to understand versus like a marketing degree or something else. Because I always found, I guess, I guess if you understand the money, you understand like what you need to do. Um, so I think that was probably the second reason. But yeah, it's fair to say. So you obviously set, then set up Gemflow and you start, what was the first kind of move that you kind of made to kind of get that off the ground then? Because obviously you, 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 the, uh, the idea is, and, and I want to dig into this further on down the track, but your idea is that you identify that content is the key thing that these creators have and it's their access to scaling brands that they own in their own right. So this is the, this is the thing you identify. How did you go about positioning yourself then in order to be able to access the, the creators and, and sell them your vision for this? Yeah, so I think, look, um, to just to, in a in practical sense, what does it mean is, so if, you, like, today uh, we help creators sell, like, supplements, clothing brands, um, almost everything you can touch and feel, we have, we manufacture and make it. Again, for, 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 uh, for anyone listening in, so we, we do like the whole thing, meaning um, if you have an idea today, let's say if you want to, let's say you have 2 million subscribers on this podcast and um, I would naturally be saying to you, do you want to launch an energy drink? Because I can help you do that. I can design, manufacture, put the whole thing together for you. Of course, you'll be in charge and we'll become your team. So that's what I do with creators. We go to creators and say, look, you have this amazing audience. Then we built a very good like analytics software. We can actually dig into the analytics and see what your interests are versus the interests of the audience. We can see overlap. We can see what things would work. And then we're like, this type of product would work for you. You should sell it. At the same time, we can look at your sales from all your partnerships with different brands, etc. So we can come to a good conclusion of what is it that you need to um, sell to make money out of this audience that you have and uh, monetize your audience essentially. And um, so that's what we do today. But yes, long journey to get to this point. But uh, that's essentially the game. Is that we, and I think if to flip it the other way, just, just for a second. So imagine you want to start a business today. Say you're a normal person. What would you do, right? Traditionally, we're taught in business school, you find a problem. You know, the problem is X. So say the problem is there's not enough oversized uh, clothing for larger women. Problem. Then you say, look how big the market is. The market is 300 million women that fit this. Then you're like, that's why we are creating plus size XYZ brand and we're going to go and solve that and this is it. And you know, normally go and pitch, maybe on the Dragon's Dens of the world or somewhere else and you want some money to get started or your mom's going to give you some money or you're going to save up some money. You're going to buy your stock, you're going to make your brand name. You do all the hard work. You go to China, Portugal, you make the product. And you're like, I'm living it. I'm an entrepreneur. But then when it comes to selling that stuff, 
essentially going to make no sales because you have no audience. And this is so common and it's crazy that 9 out of 10 entrepreneurs just have no understanding of how to sell something and they're only focusing on building the product. Then you're essentially paying money on Facebook ads, trying to get your product in front of customers to buy them. Most of the messages I get today is just that, that I started a business and basically it's not going anywhere. What do I do? And um, so for me, what we do today is basically we call it the audience first approach, meaning if you have an audience, you can then almost monetize this so easily. It's obvious, right? Billion dollar businesses are being made by creators um, because of an audience. And even though it feels like I'm saying something new, basically back in 2014, that was the idea. All those years ago, that's what I was fascinated with. And the way the idea came to me was, I was a massive forum user. So in the health and fitness market, there's a forum called bodybuilding.com. It was kind of like the first fitness social network, but it was on web. We call it web 1.0 before social media. And I was a massive user, meaning that someone would post something and lots of people would respond. And, you know, it's a classic forum. And... I just had this inkling of, I was, I was a user. So I was like, why do I care about what user, you know, Jack123 is saying about how to get shredded versus a book on Amazon? I trust this guy more versus like qualified people, Arnold Schwarzenegger's book and everything else. And I was like, why is that? Because these guys are making relevant content and I absorb that content. So I trust this guy. And that's when I guess social media came out. So my whole thinking was, can I take that experience and build it in a mobile phone? And again, we're talking about 2014. 2014, you were uploading your family pictures and dog pictures on Instagram. It wasn't the what you see today. So then I left my job in 2014, essentially, to pursue this. I was like, I'm going to build a social network, which um, is not going to be just social. It's also going to be about selling, where the big people can sell to the small people. So I was actually competing with Instagram and the rest of them in the very beginning. And that was the idea. Obviously, it was a foolish idea. This was nom nom, right? Exactly. And that, that, that was the idea. So I, I left my job. And so I guess the, how I did that as well. And I'm a firm believer of if you want to do a business, you have to leave your job to do it. I know there's a different thought to most people. They'd be like, do it on the side, a side hustle. For me, there is no way you can have a business by also working at the same time. It's just not a thing. The day you actually want to do it. So for me, I spent all my evenings and lunch times researching the market, looking at apps, how to develop, trying to learn how to code. But then it was quite clear to me that like, I need to go all in if this is going to work. And one of the best things I ever did, even though it was one of the hardest, because you put yourself in a situation where like you have to win. And that changed it all because everything stopped mattering. That used to matter to me just stopped. Like I had to basically, so I was living in a nice apartment. I was on £26,000 salary then uh, when I left my job. It was the highest salary I've ever earned in a job, essentially, which now obviously is, is very low if you think about it. But at that moment, or for me, it was I was like, wow. Because I went from like 16000 salary to twenty six in like my three years of working. So I felt like I did really well. And um, so yeah, I left the job. I had to move into a six-bedroom shared house. Because I worked out finances, I could max afford to pay £400 a month if I'm going like, to live without salary and trying to build this business. Um, and, you know, it's crazy. I put myself in a situation where it made me, like like I said, I have to succeed. There is no other solution. And it makes you a different person. And I think it's probably where I found who I am as a person and what I'm capable of because 
It was just me every night. You knew you had to burn those ships in order to facilitate the growth that you wanted. Basically, yeah, it was me against me. And I'm a big, massive believer on that you should do something for yourself. This whole thing of proving it to yourself. And I say that to now. Um, today, one of our apps is called Shreddy. It's uh, featured on the home of the App Store. So if you go to your App Store, just open it. It's right there. Which is an insane thing to achieve. Like globally today, if anyone opens their App Store and clicks on the first tab, my app is right there at the front. And what I say to my team is, and I send them a message, I was like, to the developers and whoever's been involved in it, you should realize this, that this is a moment that you should be so proud of and you did it for yourself. You didn't do it for me. You didn't do it for a client. You did it for yourself. And it's this idea of, because it's always like, oh, it's not my company, so why would I try hard? And it's a very thing that every employee always it comes in the mind, right? Why should I bother? Like, it's nothing to do with me. You know, last Black Friday was our biggest ever. And I stood up and I gave a speech to the company and I was like, I know what you're thinking. Why am I going to like break my back to do the biggest X million this year? I'm not getting any of it. So why do I care? And I was like, but what you should care about is, is how it's going to make you feel when your client does 1.5 million in, in, in 24 hours. You're going to know that, that I'm capable of doing such thing. And that changes everything mentally. Because you're so bothered about am I, what, I'm, what am I getting from it like money-wise or but you're not getting like the experience from it, the lesson from it, because that is the thing that you then take your next thing and confidence comes from it. There's no better confidence from proving it to yourself. So when I was in my bedroom, yes, um, left the thing, my whole thing was can I make an app and put it on the app store and launch it? And that was a massive success to me because I was like, that's crazy. Like I've made an app, put it out there and it's now people are using it. So that journey was, I had to prove to myself, am I even a real entrepreneur or not? Everyone here watching this, right? Everyone thinks they'll be an amazing business person, right? And everyone also thinks somehow I'm, I'm obviously going to be rich in my life. It's a weird thing to say, right? But most people, they won't say it out loud, but they just think, of course, at some point, something is going to happen. I'm going to be very successful. I'm going to reach all my goals and everything's going to be amazing because you think like that about yourself. But then you're not doing the things necessary to prove to yourself that are you even doing those things? So for me, that was my number one thing. I left my job to be like, I need to back my own self up. If I can't, I'm just bullshitting myself. I have friends that have been in the same job for nine years, ten years, but still every time I meet them, they'll be like, oh, I want to start my own business. But I just know they're not going to because they just what, don't have what it takes. What, what do you think holds them back? 100% is the fear, right? It's just the... the it, I, I did a post on it recently. It's the fear of what they think they will lose when it doesn't work out. And people think it's going to be so much money. Like the actual cost of starting a business is almost zero. And people still think, yeah, but I can't leave my job. I'm going to be throwing away this much salary just because I have a stupid idea that I want to do. So it's just fear. Absolute fear of what everyone else will think, what your parents will think, what your friends will think, what society will think, and what you'll think about yourself. Just for that reason um, is why some why people don't. Do you have to help a lot of creators overcome their own fears as well when it comes to launching collaborated brands? Um, no. One thing I would say about creators is that they are already entrepreneurs. They're already going against the grain because they started creating content and now they make money from it. They're already so far down 
not being the norm, that is actually not a thing. If anything, it, they want it so badly because they're seeing everyone else doing it. It's it's probably the reverse, I would say. We have to calm people down versus have to convince someone. Um, especially now, I would say, where the creator economy is today, and when you see Prime and all the massive stuff happen around you, people are dying, creators are dying to start something of their own. Because um, you got to remember, as a creator, you've already gone, you've already won, right? Because you're not, you know, it's it's the dream. You know, you can work anywhere, work anytime, make as much money as you like. You're in complete control of your life. You're already living the dream. Once you're on like 250,000 uh, followers, subscribers, etc., you're easily making, um, you know, close to six figures a year, easily. And so you're really living the dream, is the point. So Yeah, because yeah, you're already doing something you're intensely passionate about, and then you're you're getting paid for it. But what a lot of people don't consider is how many years it can take until the point when you're making those six figures. Because you, you and I both create content, oh. and at scale now to, to put out value to the world, and it takes, we're both on a similar subscribership on, on YouTube, but we've both been putting out content for years. And, you know, there's, they, there'll come a point where it will hit a pivotal point and it'll, it'll, it'll take the hockey stick. But you have to be in the arena long enough to get to the hockey stick moment because there, there always is one, especially yeah. on YouTube. I guess the difference is obviously we're business people doing business at the same time. If you were a full-time creator and that's the only thing, then I would say it's not good enough to be on the subscribers that we are at and not growing, because if that's your only focus, you should be growing faster. Then you're just not doing it good enough. Meaning you're, yeah. not, you're not actually learning the game of content creation and trying to grow a following, because someone should grow faster than that. You should at least be growing. Um, what we look at is, what I would say is good is, is 10% per month follower growth rate. If you are a tra- That means you're on a growth trajectory. If not, then you aren't really. Yeah. Um, you'd be surprised how fast people do grow one of our creators Liana Deeb in one year we went, we've gone from 50,000 followers to 14 million on TikTok um, and it's been absolutely life changing for her and going back to I made the app um, I ended up raising 50,000 pounds from an angel investor even that was like mind blowing to me so I was like I need to raise money people always say it's all about your network who you know I don't know nobody um, I started listing on lots of websites where you can look for like investors and stuff. And um, I happened to uh, some guy messaged me. I obviously thought it was a scam. And uh, it was basically this website called Angel Investment Network. I'm not too sure if it's still around. Um, so basically, you put your pitch on there, and then some p- people go on there. They'll seek investors out. Investors come on and say, I'm interested. So this one guy did just like that. When I met with him, it was in Liverpool Street in London. And he's actually quite a cool guy. He was like, probably five, six years older than me. And um, he's run, he ran his own business. And in the UK, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of SEIS or EIS tax reliefs. So the US government has this amazing scheme that if you invest in technology businesses, they will give you 50% of that back on your tax return. So essentially he gave me 50,000, he's going to get 25,000 back. So, cash so back. it's a no-brainer for him. So it's 25 grand. And then they also have that if it defaults in three years, they will like give you a further 30% rebate. Because they basically they started this to get the economy going to invest in new businesses. Um, so, it's a great scheme they started, so which I benefited from. So I think the cap is 250000 So I raised 50000 like that. It gave me... So then I moved out the house. I moved into an apartment. And essentially I paid the rent of the apartment, worked out from there, and I hired like six, seven interns 
to come to my apartment I was like I'll feed you And then I need you to help and do things with me And then I had them like doing different things Like we started a blog, started social media And just doing everything we can to grow the users of the app at that time It grew to about 40,000 monthly active users We were killing it But the truth is there was just no way to make money There was no way to uh, compete with social media, with Instagram I had some of the early big Instagram users, one called Tammy Hembra. I think she's on 10 million Instagram. So she was a user of NomNom uh, back then. I know Tammy well, yeah. Yeah, so like, um, but we could never compete, right? I'm there, me and one developer trying to compete with like Facebook's thousand developers. I was like, this is, I need to change. This is not the right thing. I also found myself like, I'm like, what am I doing? My whole thing was selling online. I love selling online. I know how to make money online. I've gone so down the social rabbit hole, development features and oh, the picture uploading is slow. And then, then Instagram released video and I was like, bloody hell, how are we going to do video? I was like, what am I doing? I should leverage the current social media and focus on the monetization only. And essentially that's when... Um, that was a pivotal moment for you then. Yeah, because I basically got fed up of, I'm like talking to others and myself and we're trying to come up with features like I'm competing on something I don't even want to compete on so it was like why don't I actually do what I want to do which was I want to sell but I always test everything I do so even there to be honest what we did was um, I, re- I started reaching out to creators and I probably emailed about a thousand myself just all cold email just one yeah, by one basically I was like and I went after the fitness market because I understood it from my bodybuilding.com forum days and this is like your bodybuilding, you know, early days when um, it's, it's the same time as when Gymshark was starting. So it's like that is the early days in the UK market when people are starting to go to the gym. The truth is, till then, no one used to go to the gym. There was gym. There was no gym market really. Um, there were no one was buying clothes. You know, when you used to go to the gym in those days, you would wear your old clothes to go to the gym. Now, you know, obviously, then the whole world has changed that you now wear gym clothes. And all of that stuff and whatever. So this is super early. So I started messaging people saying, hey, you're sharing workouts on Instagram. Do you know you can sell this stuff? And people were like, what do you mean? And I was like, you know you can sell it? And they, were, they didn't know what I meant. Because I was one of the first people that ever created a workout program like on the internet. Because it wasn't a thing selling workout programs. Um, and the key thing was, People that did sell them were like your classic bodybuilding coaches that sell you a spreadsheet, right? They're going to give you a spreadsheet and they'll have a call with you. They'll talk you through it. And that was kind of like where the market was because there were no young people trying to get get in shape. Because the whole getting in shape really went crazy because of social media, right? Because you have somewhere to show it off. Before that, it wasn't such a thing. Especially in the women's market, 2015-16 was when the first time like the new generation of women were going to the gym it was a brand new thing. It was so new. Um, and I really capitalized on that simply. So what I did was I made the first ever essentially fitness interface for a workout, meaning where you have exercises, videos, sets and reps, you can track it. It was called Athlete. It's still live the app today. Millions of people use it. Um, and that, that, was the, that was the start of, I basically came up with a very good solution to jump on the opportunity of, hey, you're a fitness creator, you love creating workouts, why don't you give me your workout, I'm going to make you an amazing website, I'm going to put it into this app, and then you can sell it to your followers. So that's how it began, and it was October 2016, so two years after leaving almost, when we got to that pinnacle moment of, 
And the first credit we signed was a girl in Texas, um, funnily enough, and I'm here in London like emailing, but she was the first one to agree. And we sold a training program for $35. And I remember um, she sold like 10 of them in the first day. And I was like, okay, so people do buy stuff like this. Again, I was just proving it to myself. What was the revenue split on that for you? Um, I, I believe it was 80-20. Uh, 80, 80% for them, 20% for her, for us. Um, that's the other thing, to be honest, what's really helped my business scale is that I've always given the lion's share to the creator, understanding that if I don't, at some point it's going to be an issue. So many of our competitors, and a lot of them have gone bankrupt as well, they always have tried to be too greedy. And there's one thing in business is you have to like give away as much. People think you, you should have your price as high as possible. and I, My whole belief is the other way around. You should be as cheap as you possibly can be um, to cover your costs because in the future you'll be able to charge that person more as you grow. The people that are like come out with that is 10K retainer and I'm going to do your social media management, I don't think you, you will ever keep that client more than a few months because then the value would not even be there for someone to keep thinking I'm going to keep paying you. If you start low and prove yourself, you can always charge more. And I, we do that today. That's my tactic. I always go under sign someone and then over time I know I'll be able to charge them more because once they love what we do it's so easy to make more money from that person so I knew that from the early days so I was like look you don't need to do nothing give us 20% it'll all be done for you and people were like yeah let's do it when you're looking at a client and you obviously say right what we what we can provide for this client is we think it's x amount let's just call it 100 grand at what percentage are you going say it was a hundred grand a month retainer for building this client's app or whatever it was. At what, at what percentage do you go in at 25% of that for, to, to build the value? So like 25 grand a month, if it's something of that value or what, what, how are you positioning that? I think now to be honest, our business is so complex that there isn't a set way. So at this moment in time, when we're negotiating deals on a deal by deal basis, it's really like looking at the commercial value that we think, looking at past results and the analytics and everything else for how much someone can sell. Yeah, I'm in a different game now. So like I'm working on Ali, with Ali Abdel for something. Obviously, he already makes millions. So the starting budget is massive. We're not talking small, you know. Um, I think he makes 10 million, year, 10 million a year as a podcaster on YouTube, doesn't he? Yeah, no, he, I think overall he's making, I think, yeah, like I think on his, he did an end of year video. I think it was like 5 million plus. The point is, it's different budget, so the whole project is so much bigger. And the structures are like, it could be a percentage, we take equity in businesses. So it's very different now. In the early days, I kept it very simple. It was very like 80-20, let's do this. Um, and it was simple and it was transparent. And I wasn't trying to be like, thing. I was be like, look, you take 80, give us 20, let's do it. And then as it scaled over there, of course, we provide so many different services to our creators alongside our core service. Core service meaning we're going to provide you we're going to, I guess, provide you the team to create the product. If that's a physical product or a digital product. But then there's so many other things, right? We can run ads for you, social media for you. You know, um, we help creators work with brands. Um, the, all the other sides of it that happen, then it's different deals, different structures. So the key, the key things then in, in order for you to get this up and running and get this going the way that you have, have been identifying the opportunity at hand as in we can help people monetize content. Yeah. And then when you've launched a brand, the key thing from getting it from zero to 10 million was not being greedy and not taking a, a massive percentage. 
what were the key learning points then? Because I know when as soon as a brand hits 10 million, you've got growth pains in terms of going from there to 100. There's a lot that has to change in a brand. Probably sweet management has to come in. What were the what were the hurdles that you had to overcome going from like your ten to your twenty five, your twenty five to your fifty, your fifty to a hundred mil? Yeah, I guess look in the early days for us, um I think just to finish the uh, the thing I was about to say before was just when I did the first creator, very soon after I did one more, which was twenty sixth of December two thousand sixteen, and we sold twenty five thousand in one day. And basically that was the moment I knew and I felt like I'm like the only person in the world that knows this, that creators can sell, like shitloads. And um, so I think that completely changed my mindset about the business because when you know you have an actual opportunity, you'll know that I need to now tread carefully and not be greedy. So your mind completely changes. Anyone listening to this knows this, right? So if you're good at sales, you know, I, I know how to convince a client to give me money. You get greedy. And you would, you would take your chance. You say five grand, next phone call, you'll say seven grand. You'll, you'll be trying it because you're good at that, especially if you're good at marketing, selling and stuff. For me, once I understood that I have a business here, so that day was Boxing Day, I was at home. I remember, so basically we put one live um, and my Stripe notification was just going crazy. And um, I was trying to figure out like what's going, what, what's, what's, the, what's happening. And I went on and I looked and um, no, <laughs> the, the website had crashed. Um, and I'm like, I didn't, so I kind of was oblivious to it. I was like, hmm, I wonder what happened. Maybe it was the bug, and that's why I became these notifications. And um, so I had to reset the server. I reset the server. The website started again, and then I realized how much we've sold. And I was like, holy shit, we just sold twenty five thousand. Another time, there was like four of us, and then I had some employees. So there's four employees, and that was the moment I was sitting at home. That I fully remember was the moment where I was like, okay, this is a real opportunity because how can you make twenty five thousand pounds in a day? a digital product, 100% profit, 80-20 split, and I've just done it just like that, right? There's no marketing cost, there's no nothing. Why? Because a creator put a post up. If you just think about a normal business, right, like how much effort you have to go through trying to sell a product versus we, we come up with something, the creator posted it, and I saw 20,000 pounds on this side. I'm like, this, like, and I've been an accountant, I've seen all the marketing teams and you learn all this stuff. It's never been possible in history to be able to just make money that fast because there's an audience on the other side. Um, so I think from there, it was like head down, rinse and repeat. We found so many creators, kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. So I think the truth is to answer the question of we scaled fast because we, we were winning. So it wasn't that tough at that time. But what I kept doing was giving my best to every creator we would sign and I would do everything myself. I think the key thing in that journey of not to 10 million, like um, I would say, is um, I never got too big in my own mind that I now need a team or I'm, you know, now I should have people should be doing it for me. It was always like it's me. Like I will sign the client, I will speak to the client. And I'm a big believer on you have to stay in the trenches a lot longer than how you think you need to or how people tell you you need to. In real life business, like even to this day, to be honest, right now we are about to launch a new creator. She should sell about hundred thousand in the first like hour or two. So I'm excited to go and look at the sales as soon as we finish this. Because and you never leave that because that's that's the fun of this. And I'm excited to see it too. But I, I know what you're talking about in terms of you you not getting too big. Because I remember the other night I was on I was on Instagram. I just done a post and I, I looked at Mike Thurston's story because I I'd, I'd met him earlier on in the day. 
uh, and he was with you and you were there and you were obviously discussing some, some stuff that you, you and him are working together now. Yeah. And I thought that's amazing because you're, you know, your business is doing hundred mil plus, but you are still there front of house, front of face in front of people still working with these, these creators. So that just shows your mindset towards even you can't just replace yourself because you actually love what you do. Right. A hundred percent. I think you, I saw a post yesterday. It was like, escape the nine to five, start your own business. It's like, no, you're, you're going to be eight till eight. If you start your own business, you're not escaping a nine to five. It's not less work. It's I more. don't know why it's become this common thing online that starting your own business is easier, more fun, whatever, whatever than a job is way harder because you have to stay on top of it on every little detail. And you have to be the person at the front because ultimately, especially in a service-led business, um, people are buying into you. And um, that's what it really a service business comes down to. Is not, I've got 100 employees. But even then, people come to Gemflow because of me. And because they know that if I am doing it, it's going to be amazing. And of course, my team is amazing. And that's the thing, was, and you can't lose that. You need to use it to your benefit. So it's about figuring out as a CEO, how can you design everything around you that allows you to be in as many conversations as possible, right? Because of time management and all that stuff. So yeah, but I think, you know, with Mike, I've been working with him since 2017. We met in December 2017. Um, the first brand, the clothing, the app, like for years I've been helping him. And, um, and that's the thing. One of the other things I would say in the whole how to get to a company of this size of success, you have to keep your clients. And in the agency world, it's actually not that common. Most people are so focused on automating sales and more clients and all the content on social media is about that. And it's never really about how to actually retain your clients. And for me, that's been our number one success. Because as Mike Thurston grew, Gemflow grew. As Grace Beverly grew, Gemflow grew. Because as they have done well, we've done well. You grow. So I think when I was working with Mike, what was he on, 250,000 subscribers? I still remember actually, um, the first time so I got introduced to him through somebody else. I was meant to meet him and I was like, oh, I can't be bothered. And it was before Christmas and I kind of just pawned it off. Then in January, he texted me again saying, that, oh, I would love to meet. I want to talk about, I want to start like selling programs online. And then I met him in person. Um, and that's kind of like how it began. And when I took him on, he was then doing a more personal one-on-one coaching, which wasn't sustainable. And I was like, you're doing it all wrong. You can't do Skype. You can't do Skype calls. You can't do Skype calls for money. You have to be charging. Um, your time is worth more. Spend time creating content and do what you love. And we need to find automated ways for you to make money, which was let's create an app, let's sell some programs, let's do this, let's do that. Um, so that's always the thing. I think if you come in providing such value to your clients, I think that was my number one why we won in the beginning. Timing, of course, but there were many others that I started with, like competitors. And they soon diminished because they took too much percentage. They weren't front and center. The guy wasn't making, breaking their own, like, essentially, like, you know, I've done, we did, I did New Year's at the office and we launched an app. Like, I've had to real do stuff that other people wouldn't do. But that's actually my USP. Um, So, you know, right now, let's say we were to meet someone and they're like, we want to do this. Like, I'm the type that I would be like, let's do it right now. And we won't sleep for two days and I'll have 10 of my team members and we will go and do it. It's just because we know we're able to do something. And that's the difference. That there is no, I believe I can do absolutely anything in the world. I believe I have to learn how to fly a rocket to space. I'll be able to do it. 
But what's what's the cost on doing that in regards to like family, you know, the missus, the kids, all that kind of stuff that you have to miss out on? Like, because obviously I understand your hustle and I understand how passionate you are about the business and Gemflow and you, you wouldn't have got to where you've got to unless you'd put in this ethic. It's yeah. clear to see. But just talk into the cost of the ethic that you put into the business because there is a cost and I don't think a lot of people see the cost that there is. I think it depends on everyone as a person and I think for me it's all about transparency and openness. Even with me, with my wife, it's an open discussion of like, okay, we have found this amazing business opportunity. Um, also, she worked with me, so she fully understands the business. She worked with me till we had the, um, uh, our baby, so she was front and center with me. Um, at the shoots, thingy, speaking to clients, signing clients. So firstly, one of the best things you can find in life anyway would be to find a partner that has the same common goal as you because there's a whole work-life balance, trying to balance and the cost of stuff. Conversation changes if you and your partner are actually on the same trajectory. It doesn't have to be the same business, but same life goals. So, right? so for us, it's like, okay, we have this amazing opportunity, which is already life-changing, right? Already I've, I make so much money or than I ever thought I would. So me and I already say to each other that we've already made it far past our wildest dreams, um, which then gives you the hunger to be like, you want to keep that and you want to grow that and you want to give the best possible to our daughter. So the normal ideologies around, you know, the cost, it changes because you create a lifestyle that supports it, essentially. So what me and her have done and like discussed it and we've ended up creating a lifestyle and so have I. So I have some non-negotiables. I have dinner with them almost every single night. I've done so since I can remember because I just run my life like that. So the difference is when you think of 24 hours and design your 24 hours around things that are most important to you. So for me that is dinner and chilling with my daughter and having fun with her is non-negotiable. I'm going to do that. That's just blocked out in my calendar. That still gives me so much time in the day to do everything else. I think so you are literally curating your day by design every day and you have my life has been designed to optimize it to win in business I have designed my life on purpose with the blessing of my wife and us working that together that what's the best way I can get the best out of the business we can have an amazing time together and have the best relationship and we can grow up our daughter and do everything for her and how that gets easy is the moment you don't look at what your parents did or what someone else is doing or what this book is saying. You create your own. And with me and my wife, is so like that. Like, there's lots of stuff. Like, I would, we would happily sleep in separate rooms if there's something really important to do because sleep is important. Like, this, this thing of like, no, we have to sleep together because we are married. It's like, no, but I'll just sleep in that room. I'll get amazing sleep because I've got to go here. Or if you're doing something, then you can do that. Like, it's just, and that kind of stuff is a bit alien in traditional thinking because that's like bad in society, right? Imagine if you're, I don't know, husband, wife, you don't sleep in the same room, let's just say, people would be like, what's wrong with you guys? Um, so it's just stuff like that. So for me, I'm just, I create what I think is the right solution to stuff, irrespective of what the world thinks. Of how you broke that down, because you've basically said you just co-create your whole schedule with your wife's blessing and then you you don't have any... No one has no any regret. No, there's no, no, there's no regret. No. There's no animosity. You've removed all the things. You're upfront. She knows where you are, like in terms of like what you want to achieve. She's on board with you. It, it must take away arguments and everything. Pretty much, and, and the reason why is because life is in chapters. 
And it's about truly understanding that And the chapter in me and her are in right now The chapter in my life right now So like so what if you put shit loads of effort in for the next five years Because after that we can have a completely different life And uh, maybe I, I, I never have to do the work that I'm doing um, And I can choose to be whoever I want to be then The version of me here today I want to be aggressive I want to work a lot Because as a family it's the best thing for us um, So she's helping me through that Meaning Making sure I'm eating the right food and, you know, looking after me and everything else. Because she's trying to play her part in the current state of the life that we're living in. And hopefully when the daughter gets a bit older, I want her to return to work and actually help the business too. Hands on. Um, what, what, what's her key skills in the business that you've found? What, 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 how did she compliment when you, when you started to grow the business? Um, it was operations. Yeah. yeah. So she was more operational uh, in terms of head down getting stuff done so if there's a lot it was, there was so much to do so basically in the early days i convinced her to leave her job and join me and this was um just as we basically were getting married when we got married then she like fully left the job and started helping me because it felt like the two months before we got married it was annoying because i would like have to take time out to go and see her i had to then you know one of the things anyone knows listen to this that has a relationship you know, it's the whole, got to talk to each other on the phone every day and all the time wasting. Like, I, I used to hate that. After, you know, of course, you have to call each other. You'll spend an hour on the phone talking, talking about what. It's just this thing. <laughs> and I always say to anyone, anyone that I see with boyfriend and girlfriend, I'm like, how much time are you wasting just on the phone? Because if you don't talk to each other, that's what you're meant to be doing. You're together. But you don't live together. And it's this phase that people find themselves in. Like, you're in a serious relationship, not living together. And you just spend all this time on the phone talking about nothing. Um, and I was stuck in that too. So when we got married, it was relief. It was like, oh, thank God. She moved in with me, left her job, and now we can do this. So time and at the window, firstly, we would like go into the office and, oh, shit, it's 11 o'clock. Let's go home now. Because we were just enjoying what we're doing. And what happened was we just picked different things. So she picked up all customer service, all operations. I would sign the creators and she would work on like getting them ready to launch them. So we kind of split responsibilities like that. And then to be honest, I added a few other people. Most of my core leadership team now, like the C-suite, I'll talk about that in a second. They've all been with me about four years now, four to five years. So basically the people that joined me then, we all started to just work together in a, in a whole different energy level. But we were truly winning, that's why. You had the momentum with the that's business. Right. You, 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 Obviously, in, the, in your first, in the app, Nom Nom, right, you, you were going... You were going with the stream, but with not enough budget to compete with an Instagram or a Facebook or anyone else. So that was a wrong model. But as soon as you realigned yourself and put yourself in the right business that you could build a moat round and really own the space and own what it did, you dominated from that point onwards, didn't you? So, so, so the key lesson here is for anyone listening is not only do you need to have the right work ethic, but you need to have, you need to have, um, something that's where you're going downstream as well as paddling the boat and maybe put a, a, a speed motor on the back of it rather than going against the yeah. tide. You need to find something that you're actually winning at, not what you want to do. Like, what are you winning at in business? So let's say today you have a business and you're actually very good at doing the thing, but you don't like it, but you're actually good at it, is what you should be chasing. Because people like to chase the shiny thing, right? So let's mm. say you've got an e-commerce store today, you've started a brand, not making many sales you're probably thinking hmm, shall i start an agency now shall i start selling courses on how you can start a d2c brand and those are the people that won't get anywhere because you are getting away from the thing that you're doing and how do you make that work 
then whatever's working in that meaning our legging selling or whatever selling then go deeper in that like you have to actually try to win at the thing versus uh just moving on to the next thing because i i look i think about sports it's like being a footballer i don't know let's say you are you know paying for the under 18s or whatever you're not going to be like mm, let me try tennis next week let me try basketball uh, uh, you have to keep on your thing to be like am i going to make it in this or am i a loser uh, and you have to have that mindset and in sports you accept it but in business it's a bit like you know no just try out see how it feels like you can't do shit like that in life i i, I had this, the epiphany the other day literally it's funny you're mentioning this because i took my eye off the ball with contentremover.com for the for, for the longest time and allowed it to slide my revenue to slide and everything because I took my eye off the ball of my cash flow business put put my effort into creating content without monetizing the content and and then obviously ended up in a position right Shan so yeah. it, it's like you gotta you gotta focus on what makes you what what makes you what makes you the money and what you're fucking good at as well and if you're if you're the best at it even though some days yeah it's gonna be fucking hard just be the best at it. Just fucking go and own the space because you can build a moat round stuff like that. You can't build a moat round tr- trying to be this, the tenth best course creator when you just because you you think that's the latest thing. Short term cash, yes, and I think a lot of people chase short term cash. So what I mean by that is, it depends what you want to build, right? If you want to build a real valuable business, it depends on your own goals, right? If you want to try and build lots of three, four cash flow small businesses, then cool. If you're trying to build like generational wealth, you're gonna have to build a business big enough, good enough to then sell one day, or list it on the stock exchange to then be wealthy. So I think it's gold. So that's my goal because really, the truth is, I can stop what I'm doing. I can yeah. start creating courses on how to scale agencies, and I could probably be one of the best out there in selling you a course on how to build your agency. And I could probably make a lot of cash. It's short-term cash, and then I'll have to figure out what to do with that cash. And people will be like, "Oh, let's invest in real estate. I'll do this." It's like you have to learn whole new industries and actually get good at them. It's not easy. If you think you had, a, I said I put a post of your million followers or a million cash. Everyone obviously will say cash, but like you don't even know what you do with a million cash. If I literally gave someone a million cash, what would you do with it? Yeah, I'm like, I'll buy property. You don't know the first thing about buying property. Like, what would you actually do with it to make more money? Nine out of ten people have no idea. They think they do, but they actually don't. That's the whole reason why you go on this whole process of learning business and why. It- why it can be hard at times because you have to learn these all these different facets to it i mean if you don't go if you don't go through every stage of going from zero to 100 million if you don't go through every stage you can't learn the capital allocation all that kind of stuff that you need to learn all the way through the process that allows you to be able to do what you do it's it's easy to create like small cash flow businesses i think the real hard task and the one that's worthwhile the most is trying to build something big and i think that's what i'm focused on so yeah i guess going back to the whole balancing thing or the cost of working in this way um, it's just on your goal and if you design your life around that then it's okay because there's a time and place for everything and I think and if, if you see the opportunity in front of you I would almost say try to figure your life out in a way to make the most of it it's like again if you're a, a boxer who's great you're not going to be like uh, only train three times don't do it too much you'll be like no train every day trying to be good as you can trying to fight as many times as you possibly can in one year so your career goes faster right you build your followers you'll be like do everything possible to get better at it it's the same being an entrepreneur you need to be like if you're going to be a real good entrepreneur you just have to get you need to focus on how can i my whole life should be designed around this one goal people have too many goals they want to travel the world they want to meet as many girls as possible they want to build a business when I have a massive social media following, like they want everything. 
right? Like, but what is the thing that you really want? Because you have to focus on that. The idea of everything is what everyone's chasing. And and you you got it straight in your head that you wanted to make your monetary worth first, then and then go into other things. I suppose that's how you've done it. Pretty much, to be honest, even right now, my only sole focus is GenFlow and GenFlow alone. Like, I don't do nothing else. Yeah, of course, buying some shares and crypto and stuff. But, like, no, everyone always says to me, oh, do you buy property, this stuff, whatever. It's like, not really. A few things here and there, and a few things with my dad. But generally, no. Um, So you leave all the money in the company? Pretty much, yeah. I only take the amount of money that I need to be able to support my lifestyle. The rest is for the company to reinvest into growing itself. And and I suppose Gemflow, having that much cash on books allows you to get through any potential hard times in the future as well. Pretty much, and um, and try new stuff, right? So I'm a big believer of innovation. So like we built a Web3 product called Genverse. The market then crashed, essentially, so we weren't able to do what we wanted to do with it. I wanted to help creators launch, I guess, um, use tokens as a way to start to owning their audiences, Right now we're working on some AI stuff. So I'd rather invest in trying ideas versus buying a Lamborghini. Just so then I can be like, ooh, I'm successful. Right? So it's just like yeah. I could take cash out of the business more and spend it, but or yeah, be like I buying some property and get some rent back and it's cause when you have belief in yourself, I'm like, I'll do that stuff when I've sold my business for five hundred million and then I will hire a whole team to understand real estate and then I'll actually go and be amazing at it. Versus buying three random council houses and do them up and be like, that's just how I am, basically. With with your business, though, it's a bit more complicated selling it than just a normal business because you've got all the brands within the business that are separate businesses themselves, like Shreddies and all these other apps. They're yeah. all structured as different businesses outside of Gemflow, right, that you have active ownership in. But the... But the but Gemflow is your creative agency that facilitates you being able to, to, to create these other offshore businesses. So even when you sell your Gemflow in the future for what, a five, ten X multiple, whatever you sell it for, it you you're not essentially selling all your businesses, are you? Because you because you're only selling the Gemflow business, right? You're not selling the brands that are in Gemflow. Yeah, ultimately when what would someone buy us for, right? Like Shopify could buy us, Shopify could buy us and brand us as a Shopify creator partners. And they're like, okay, if you're a if you're a creator, and now you want uh, our hands-on team to help you get to that next level, start your own business or whatever, we could be those people. How we structured it is: so I built a tech platform which we license to everybody. We 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 do many things, which means that if someone buying it will buy enough value. Um, but yeah, with any agency, you're only worth your contracts. Plus, like the difference with us is because IP. We have a lot of IP because we built a lot of tech. Um, and then a lot of manufacturing IP, being that we have more than um, 100 factories now that we manufacture with. So we own the IP for that stuff, essentially. So all the molds, all the creative patterns. Exactly. Everything. Yeah. So the brands are owned by the creators, but the back-end IP for stuff is owned by us and we license it to them because I'm investing in that, right? So, for instance, I hired like an activewear team we go to Portugal, Morocco, China, and we learn how to do it, sustainable materials and all that cool stuff. Then we'll find a creator. So essentially we are licensing what, we've, what we know and learned to then be able to create their products. But the products are owned by them. The brand is owned by them. So there's IP basically. And that's what makes the business valuable and makes it hard for newcomers to come in as well because it's not easy to build the relationships and the things. You do that over years of business with the right people. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, it's not it's not as easy to just go start a good activewear company. There's lots of activewear companies starting, but there's not 
many good ones, you know, with the right kind of quality of, of, of fabrics and stitching exactly. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it's, it, you're right in what you're saying. Essentially, you can't be competed with if they launch with you because you, you've got everything. So they're getting like, so right now we have five warehouses, you know, um, I've got distribution in UK, Europe, and then in, in the US. So people get out the box. It's business in a box, you know. So if you're a creator, you come to us, and just like that, you get an expert team with all this experience and uh, all the infrastructure in a second. Um, and I think that's the reason the business works. It worked from the very first day till today because you're getting, if they were to start it themselves, the amount of effort they'll have to go through and pain, and it's not their skill, and it's not what they should be doing. They should be focused on creating content and growing their audience more versus learning how a factory works or... So it just makes no sense for a creator. It's such a brilliant business model because at every stage of the business, as you've gone from like the two of you to 10 employees to 30 employees and 30 creators and 10 creators, every stage you've been profitable and kept increasing the profit margin as you've scaled as well. Yeah, no, so I think just to, I'll, I'll just explain a bit more of the company journey. Um, so at that time, we, uh, going back to, yep, we were winning and the winning field was amazing. We went out to the US. I set up an office there. I set up a warehouse there. I took the team with me. We spent like about six weeks, seven weeks out there. And when you are winning, it's something else because you spend all your time together as a team. You eat together, have fun together. We're going to NBA games, we went to UFC. But then you're sitting down and working. And I would say for any business to be really successful in the early days, like if you're never going to have that tight team, um, I think it's tough to build something real. You can build cash flow businesses, yes, like hire a remote team, they'll do your services for you. But I think to where building a real value in terms of the experience and knowledge, because once you've done, things, once you've achieved, there's nothing bigger and better than a team who've achieved something together genuinely. So even going back to Shreddy, when we launched it, it hit number one on the App Store. And that is something only a few people in the world will ever experience, creating a product that hits number one on the App Store. And that gives you this undeniable, like, we know what we're doing. And then it was the next one. Then it was the next one. And then it was something else. And it's something else. Then, you know, I signed Anthony Joshua. I remember being young and thinking, oh, I can imagine working with Anthony Joshua, how crazy that would be. And um, signed him. I worked with him for years. And then we lost. When he lost is when I when I stopped working with him because obviously the career didn't go as, as planned. Um, but even there, we went to Madison Square Garden. We stocked the arena with all the products that we made. Um Sold so, in sports. So, so, so the loss affected the business that much? Pretty much. Um, and just the whole, wasn't just that, yes, obviously, because when you're winning, you're winning and everybody wants your stuff. Secondly, he then did obviously also had to change stuff um, to focus on boxing more. Because he'd become too much of a commercial asset rather than a, as a boxing asset. I think, look, yes and no. I think the other thing was I realized at that same time that creators can sell way more than celebrities. And if he's not going to create the content, it's never going to work. It doesn't matter how famous you are. And I, we were at that time in the business where I had to do it to learn it because Andrew Joshua was like, you know, um, ever since I was young, we been watching him, the chance of working with him. Uh, you know, Hut Group were doing his products. I stole him away from Hut Group. It was an amazing achievement. Uh, we started doing it and you know we did everything we created a whole line of boxing products boxing gloves stocked in JD Sports online in store um, 
But in the reality was, and it was a massive learning curve. So today, since then, and working with a few reality stars and stuff, basically when I talk about creators, we talk about genuine content creators, not famous people. There's a difference. Genuine content creators are people who have been born because they created content on a certain subject and grew from there. Versus someone in music or reality star, Love Island people, they genuinely they can't sell because they don't have an audience. They people follow them because they are a somebody. Because people buy into you essentially, you know, over your journey. Like over my journey with with the podcast, people will obviously become invested in knowing who I am because because obviously if the they've content, listened, yeah. if of the content that's going out and the value that goes out into the ear like Grace Beverly the way that she built herself online was by providing content she's not just gone turned up one day and become famous like that has she she's put in the exactly. years and years and years of work turned people, up people the crazy thing is so um, people you'll see you'll make more eye contact with people that you follow online than like your own parents or your friends because you see them every single day the stories the posts so even psychologically, you trust strangers way more than you trust people that are actually in your life. And I think that's the ultimate thing. You know so much about somebody online, you've never met them, and that connection is why creators can sell to the audiences and why you're seeing how their beauty went from putting makeup on to, I think a business is worth um, three or four billion now as a beauty brand, like stuff that's unimaginable for a creator to achieve someone on social media. And it goes back to, you know, Social media is not a real job. And anyone listening to this, if there's one thing you should be doing in your life right now, is basically creating content. Because it is still the biggest opportunity right now. Yeah. It's not too late. Anyone can start. We've had people start in the last six months and have scaled. Because if you're just good at it, you'll be good at it. And if you just take, if you just zoom out for one second, there's still people in the world, in 8 billion people, people are still coming and um, more people are going online. I believe, maybe I'm incorrect, I think 5 billion, I think people use the internet out of 8. So people are still coming online yet in the world. Then social media uses, I think, well, like 3.6 billion or 4 billion um, people use social media. So if it's, it's a big thing, if, it, you know, if more people are coming online, more people are using social media, more people are going to absorb content from creators, meaning creators' audiences are infinitely growing. Creators are infinitely growing. So I think now there's um, 50 million creators. Um, a few years ago it was five so it's still so early even though you would never think that I can't start a YouTube channel now it's never going to work it can because it's how everything is being consumed there's more people watch YouTube more on TV versus TV channels like that's already surpassed it by far which means people are watching a YouTuber over obviously in the UK anyone listening is you think BBC has views or whatever? If you look at the numbers, it's nothing, absolutely nothing compared to social media numbers. It just shows, is uh, someone on TV more important or someone on social media is social media? And it can be seen with everything you see. So I remember with Apple, they used to send the phones all to the tech journalists and now they send all the phones to all the YouTubers to review because that's where all the audience is. And it all comes down to where the attention is. So in business, in anything you ever want to do in life, if you are where the attention is, you will win, right? So if you're in the business world, of course, being doctors and stuff is all different. If you're in the business world, there is no point going to any university, doing anything like that. You should be only focused on one thing, is like, how do I build myself an audience? Um, Which a lot of doctors have now online. There's so many doctors. Even they're doing it, because everyone... So basically, 
I'm working on something right now. We're launching something. Um, it's going to be called Creator College, and essentially, for the first time, we're now going to aim at smaller creators because I've always only focused on the top one percent. Um, because the opportunity is so massive, even for us as a business now, I think we're, how do I scale this business further? Is we already work with the top one percent, keep helping them, keep finding more of them. But at the same time, now let's help like the ones that want to be creators and grow. Because of our experience and knowledge and what we know, I think it's a massive opportunity. And I'm just saying this generally for anyone watching: you can make life-changing money within six months very fast if you do it properly. And there's no other career, no other thing that can ever get you there. Walk um, me, walk me through that six-month step-by-step plan that you'd do to launch this creating business that you're ta- you're saying can make life-changing money. Honestly, for me, it'd be first come down to would be the full understanding of who are you going to create content for. So the steps would be the following. Number one would be what unique perspective do you have in life about anything? What is your thing? Because you have to create content about something. So let's say if it's business for me and you, it could be plants for somebody. It could be like how to groom a cat. It could be anything. What are you, what value do you have? So you have some value. Value can also be point of view, not necessarily value as in because you're successful in something. Point of view could be you just have know, a different point of view to someone else. Yeah, and or even like you know your life, like maybe you had a single parent, and you or you don't have parents, you never had them. It could be something hard. Maybe you've been abused. It could be something that makes you you. What makes you you? And it's about harnessing that. Then it's figuring out okay, because you want to create content for other people who are just like that. So let's say you 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 never had a dad. It was single mom. She worked really hard, and because of that, you've 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 been really poor. You've had to work five jobs and. Your life's just been really tough. You should create content about that. Because you're then creating for other, let's say if you're a girl, other girls who are exactly like that. So what the process I would go through is essentially breaking down, okay, so if I'm another girl like that today on the internet, who do I currently watch? You know, do I watch these big vloggers and I inspire to be like them? Like who do they watch? Because ultimately you need to be, create content to enter their content space, right? So if this girl who's just like you if she's spending two hours on YouTube every day and four hours on TikTok, who is she watching? Because your content is going to have to fit into that watch time, if you see what I mean. Because I always compare like some of my creators as a joke that it's almost like being a politician. Because politicians are very good at knowing what to say to people to get them to, you know, vote, react, whatever. You've seen it with Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, right? That they know how to get people going. What words to use, what to say. And it's basically the same if you know, if you say Andrew Tate, whatever. People know so well how people are going to respond because they know what they need to say to get the response to get the you know get them to interact, and I think that's the real skill. And you're working on that. And then I would change all my social media. I'll only follow people that are essentially competitors. So you learn their content. You see what they do. You sit and watch. So them. you'd unfollow everyone else. Yeah, hundred percent. I would only follow if I'm a full time creator. I would only follow people that I'm trying to emulate. I would want to know how many times do do they post? Are they posting reels? How long is it? Do they use trending audios? Why do they use them? How long is the caption? Long form, short term? What's the profile like? And I would watch them. And then I would emulate from there. They'd be like, okay, everyone that I'm seeing. So right now, if you look at Hermosia, so you got his book there, and Layla, they're both doing the exact same strategy, which is um, no, she hers is two reels per day, both talking on camera. His has been for the past year, one tweet post, one reel. Uh, sorry, one post a day, but one tweet, one reel. That's the format. So you're looking at people, I'm always watching to be like, interesting that strategy is working for him. He only posts reels, whereas reels views are down across all of Instagram. We're seeing posts and carousels are getting way more interaction now than reels, but he hasn't switched it up. 
He's still sticking with it. Um, so you is that because he doesn't know, or he, or because that works for him? Interesting. I don't know. But the point is, he has a smart team. Surely they haven't switched it up because it's working. But the point is, as a consumer, you basically need to become a student of the game, and that's what you should be so interested in. Is like, okay, so he's doing that; it must work for him. Mine's not working, but this is working for other people. Let me try. You have to find something that's going to work for you ultimately. But you'll know that by watching other people, because everyone, everyone good is spending all their time thinking about what content, what script, what thumbnail, why. I'm actually doing something very cool soon with. Um, I've seen Chris Williamson, he was just on Stephen's podcast. So he's posting every single day on YouTube. Um, and what he's doing is so interesting. So he films a podcast and then obviously they he's posting cut downs from it. So this whole content section just now, you can post this as a video in itself and say content strategy to grow to um, you know, fifty thousand followers. So he's taking sections from his podcast and uploading them as YouTube videos, and like that, he's basically posting he only does a podcast and he ends up creating enough small actual four or five minute videos and he's posting every day on YouTube and obviously he's now collaborated with Hamozi and Steven and stuff but he's gone from 500 to 800,000 subscribers in like a month and I think it was 820 yesterday and I believe it'll be in a million in like another week or two because the growth is just now he's gone everywhere but he's doing the work at the back because every thumbnail and everything is thought about the text on the thumbnail so YouTube right now most people I don't know if you looked at your stats most people um, use YouTube on mobile now. I think 85% of people are watching YouTube on mobile now. But even when I create content, you're so fascinated. You, know, you just keep thinking desktop when it comes to YouTube for some reason. That's why community posts are working on YouTube now. You know, the normal posts. And if you go to your feed, you'll see every fourth, fifth post is a community post. So I guess, yeah, when it comes to this whole content game, it's just about becoming a student of it. And, you know, the tr- I, one thing I regret, I wish I had started building my own audience during this whole journey, but I've just been so busy in helping others. But slowly and surely, I'm trying to do it. This year, I've been like, trying to upload YouTube videos and the rest, but even coming to this podcast is the first step. I need to start doing some of the strategies that we put in play for creators. It's time for me to do it to myself. Um, it's, hard, guess, it's, it's hard, isn't it, essentially, when you know, when you know the game, when you, but, but then, obviously, you've got you to gotta do the game. Do you know what I mean? But, you, but you've got two strategies, haven't you? You've got the, you know, you're 100 million business and you're you're the ceo and you're the guy going out meeting all these top creators and they want to work with you and they want to they want to know what you've got to say and then also implement that so that you become this content creator as well which is which is a totally separate job within itself it's it's, it's difficult and and i think there's two sides to that because also i have to be so careful because when you're dealing with like high profile people you can't come across as like the content guy because then you're also a bit naff, right? So I have to do it in such a stylized way that's valuable and good and never looks like it's cheesy and like lame or I'm trying it. So I think that's always been part of my slight issue is that I have to do it in a certain way that my creators can't feel embarrassed looking at my content or that I'm trying too hard or I'm... Because, you know, I can do... I can't give away numbers for clients and there's so much... There's a bit more to it. Um, you, have to, you have to be a bit cuter, don't you, when you're moving like you are because it's like... But the same way that Hormozzi adds value, he just adds value. He doesn't discuss numbers of the businesses and brands that he's invested in. He's working with faceless people, though. That's the difference. Yeah. Right? And your work, is, your, at the moment, yeah. fair play to him. But um, actually, I've actually got introduced to his team yesterday. I'm going to call with him. So it should be, should be fun to speak to him. Obviously, he's doing his acquisition.com. They're helping normal businesses. But which businesses? 
very different to like if you were doing Logan Paul's business. And then I'm meeting Logan Paul and his manager for dinner and like it's it's different. So I think I'm really mindful of that, but of course I want to build and I have an amazing network. My current goal is and I'll say it out loud, I want to build enough of an audience myself to then leverage my clients because I can easily can. Like I could bring all of my clients onto my own podcast and all that stuff. So soon I will do that. But at the moment I want to and also I'm doing it to learn the game because as I'm posting more regular content, I'm realizing myself all these small things that we were just discussing about thumbnails about this about that because I'm trying to understand like okay how to get watch time up how to get this and different genres the truth is it is easier with larger creators so Leona Deeb the girl I told you we got to 14 million on TikTok we launched a YouTube channel and in less than 10 months we've hit a million on YouTube which in YouTube is so hard to do and here's me doing my own and you know like we said we're doing it for years and in 10 months there you go oh. no to a million and because you're already a creator or you're already a somebody it's obviously so much easier for you um versus being a nobody well i am um, i spoke to chris williamson cuz I, i i know chris as well and when i sent him over my analytics i said to him look chris man like i've been going at this i think it was like two and a half years at a time i said to him what's your opinion on this i sent him the back end and he said to me oh mate don't worry you're exactly where i was at two and a half years like you just got to keep keep going so so like it's 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 I thought oh I must be way behind because I'm not I wasn't growing at the at the 10% per month that you're talking about yeah. but he but he, but he said and I've seen his trajectory he said well on my timeline of events what of the pinnacles bits that I you're you're on track to do a similar thing so it's like well what do you do because on on Spotify and Apple the podcast is in the top 1% in the world but on YouTube it's always lagged but I believe that's that was a similar story for him for quite a while The difference there there is he stepped up his YouTube game. Yeah, he did. And yeah. that's actually been the number one difference. So if you look at his growth in subscribers, it all changed when he did YouTube better. And obviously then he's managed to get better guests on because he's got a better YouTube, yeah. yeah. Because the podcast numbers, the truth is yep, top 1%. I think mine was the same. But it's because most people start a podcast and never continue it. So the numbers are very skewed on that, right? So I think that's the issue i guess with podcast analytics because they're a bit shit in reality because the rss feed if someone even just presses play and stops it it's one listen yeah so the truth is it's hard and obviously his podcast has insane numbers i think 70 million downloads now so i think podcast was bigger that people have transitioned to youtube faster so i i would say it's it's youtube um and then he's managed to collaborate with some really good people so i think here to be honest the month thing would be is trying to collaborate with or people and then trying to have some edge obviously in his case he's gone for more like science based you know edge so if yours is business then it's just figuring out what that edge would be is what i would do um so if i was to like say so my podcast is called life of an entrepreneur i'm mainly just talking about myself and my business and that kind of stuff if i was to turn it into where i'm bringing people on talking to them i would really think about what type is it is it people that are certain scales and this like I'll try to create some sort of again, parameters you yeah, so whereas the, whereas with me I did, I I it's more I, life story based right and you like people tell the story and what, lots it, of things to learn from that it, I feel like you just need a little bit extra to be like what's the focus on top of that th- this this is where I've gone wrong the the whole, the whole the whole reason why I'm where I am and not where someone like Chris Williams is or someone like Steven is the difference is that they they had a plan of attack from the start whereas I've just I've just executed on a podcast. 
I've just executed. I think it was just preparation. So I watched your crafted one. I thought it was an amazing story. Obviously, he had done, you know, it was fascinating when he said he did agency to then do e-com because in agency, you learn all the skills and then you can apply it to your own e-com. I'm going through a similar journey as well because we're launching more of Gemflow's own like software products now because I'm going through the journey of I've built so much software for other people. Let's build something of our own because I've learned so much. I can put it into something and all the 100% is mine. So if I was the producer of that episode, I would have strategically been like, even with this podcast, same thing. Here's the five subjects we should talk about because you're all about what content is going to come out of it. If yeah. you're smart. You yeah. could then, with him, you could have had a video agency versus e-com, which is better. Boom. Yeah. Five minute video. Next section, video about um, not trusting your business partners because of his story. Yeah. Boom. So that's what I would do. And I think that's the difference with how he has scaled and others you're thinking about the outcome of the episode even before the episode. So even for our episode here, it's about like thinking, okay, what are the five things my guest can talk about that I think will be good? Because I'm trying to get enough good value out of it in terms of content so I can then use it further to push. So I think it's just preparation of that. Second thing, what he does and good podcasts do honestly is more stats. So it's stuff like... Um, you know, 75% of is it kids in America say they want to be a YouTuber when they grow up. Um, and so I think any conversation we're having using stats, if you listen to the Steve and, and uh, Chris podcast, 80% of the conversation is stats because it's intriguing to someone watching. So if I said 8 out of 10 businesses fail, which is true, that's startup, but still everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Right, like it's categorically eight out of ten people starting are not going to make it, but still everyone wants to do it. Everyone probably listening here has a dream of doing it, which just shows how hard it is. So I was using more stats and figures and blah blah. Like I've seen other podcasts do well or content creators um, that are just trying to get the information to be more trustworthy. I think I think it's interesting to get your insights on it. I mean, I mean the key the key thing is on a podcast for the first the first point of call is execute and actually get a structure where you can actually put one out every week Honestly. with with a quality guest booking. That's hard enough as it is. But I really do appreciate your insights into into how you said to break it down. And there's a lot of stuff within that that I as a creator need to get better at. I think it's your next stage, right? So you've done the first stage. Like again, starting something is so hard. Sticking to it is so hard. Creating good quality episodes. Getting guests on. Like it's so much. Having the setup and the team, editing. It's all 101. And I think you're there now. Now to move forward, you'll be getting more strategic with which guest, why. What's the content we could create together? How then I'll promote this afterwards? And it's almost like if you drew like a mind map of who you're yep. trying to get to. You almost want to get the guests on that can help you get the next one, get the next one because they know yeah. each other and stuff, right? Like, because that's how the world works. Um, that'll probably be the next stage, is what I would say. I'd I'd have said early doors as well that I've had to battle my ego early doors as well because it was like I it was like me against the world, so to speak. So I've had to I've had to battle that battle through that because that was a, that was a whole thing that I had to dissolve. Because okay. now it's not now it's not me against the because what you're what you're saying is a hundred percent right and I, and I know that now. And I've probably known that for the last probably 30 episodes. But before that, it was me against the world with this podcast. Oh, I'm going to do this because I want to be, want to be the best, I want to be everyone else. Do you know what I mean? And that's an internal battle you've probably had in business, right? In the early days. Even now, you know, I have to keep reminding myself that it's okay if someone else has done something and is successful at it, even though I know how to do it. It's, it's a very... I love yeah, that. You know, I love that. That's, because 
in your as a, as an ego thing it's it's a very normal thing to feel like that that's for anyone that's good at something it's like i'm sure when ronaldo sees someone does an amazing hat trick like that's eh, good but i would have done it better and it's a natural instinct thing to have people i guess if you have a bit of a winning mindset you do have an ego but i always say like um humble on the outside like ego on the inside and that's the way I like yeah. to behave yeah um see, see so i'm a bit like that too but i have to keep reminding myself that like okay i would do this i won't like it's okay and that's why i should collaborate with other people who are in my thing as well yeah i've had competitors reach out for their podcast and always a bit like why would i come on your podcast and talk about stuff that i know but you know like but but is 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 that ego or is that is is that you not wanting to collaborate now or is that you protecting your IP like it can be looked at both ways yeah i would just class it as ego because you're like i i'm too good for it even though social media wise i am not but business wise i am so you know like i said like i think it's it's you can't explain it but it's a thing but it's a thing that i'm constantly also working on that yeah. i i i think you've you've given me a mad amount of things to think about and operate on and execute on in my own self but if there's if there's one piece of golden advice and wisdom that you can give this audience that can just take one thing away from you today what would it be honestly i think um anyone can it's cliche as it sounds anyone can do anything you have to be willing to give it your all meaning like your whole life to it in that moment in time and i think if you just listen to what i'm saying it just means you can dedicate a few years of your life to actually go and achieve something. And you know what's crazy? You could be that one person that changes your whole family's life. And not enough people actually ever feel that responsibility. So I will say take way more responsibility and accountability through social media and the opportunity that's right in front of us right this moment. I don't think it's ever going to be easier again. And you got to work through the fear, the doubt and whatever and you if you realize it'll probably all be external because of other people. I would block out as much of that as possible because friends and everything will come and go. You should be excited to make new friends in life because you're going to go forwards in life versus keeping with your friends that you had since school just because you know them since school. Like what other reason is it? Oh, because I know him for 5 years or 10 years or 15. They're my best friends. Like yes, but if you truly want to build value for yourself and your family and everyone around you, I just take the responsibility on myself. So then if you're responsible, then everything is different because you feel the weight of it and then you want to do something about that you know just like chat gpt came out and the amount of people who listen to this would even never even bother trying because they're like it's not for me when you just never know you could maybe become the best prompt engineer that ever was but you would never even know if you'd even tried because it's not for me because it's not around your current comfortable surrounding right now i'm learning drop shipping i'm a university i've got my job today i had a dm come today he's doing a diploma because he currently works a job and he's not happy he's doing some diploma and he's like what should i be doing it's like that's the last thing you should be doing learn some skills online do anything to make some money and i think honestly there's nothing better way of learning something in life than trying to go ahead and make some money yourself go on upwork say i can do x even if you can't let someone pay you and then figure out how to do it and just like that you'd be like holy shit i didn't know any copywriting now i do even marketing watch youtube videos do it for someone for 7 pounds on upwork shit i know how to do even marketing to at least at some elementary level so it's just skills so i think the one thing to go away like i am um, i was never smart we didn't touch upon it uh d's and e's um two two in university i am not book smart never been book smart but i was online smart and i'm very smart in real life 
um, I I can develop business, tech, money. I've raised money, um, but not um, not book smart. And I think it's because I'm self-taught. So the whole idea of like you can teach yourself anything and do anything is actually true. But a lot of people will not even ever be bother to even put themselves in a situation to be like, can I? It's all about asking yourself those questions in life that are the hard questions that you need to give yourself answers to that sometimes you will deny. And the easiest thing to do is to say, I will go to university and procrastinate. I will go in a job and procrastinate rather than doing the thing that you know you probably should be doing, which is learn to copyright, learn skills, learn how to use ChatGPT, learn how to do all these different things and then put it together as a package down the track to make the money that you say go and make. That's it. I think that's a pretty fair way of saying it. I think one of the biggest opportunities there is um, is to build an audience and then build a business at the back of it. And I think you should, if you, and you should be trying to do that. Well, I'll tell you, one, one thing's for sure, I'm definitely, I'm definitely trying to do it. And I think today has taught me on a personal level, Shan, like the, the wisdom that you've put in this podcast. And there's been so much cut through for me, but, but so many areas in, in my own career as a content creator that I've got to correct on the back of or, or, or course adjust on the back of listening to you today. And I know that you guys will have got a mass, mad amount of value from this too. And, and I hope you've, you listen to this twice because there's that much in this at a level where you can just execute on it. So actionable value. That's what this podcast is all about. I appreciate your time for coming on here today. First ever podcast. Brilliant. I didn't even know that till you came in and guys do me a favor, like subscribe on all the platforms, share it on everywhere. And yeah, much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.